Second Peter chapter 1, but by way of review, we want to uh, share a few thoughts with you. We have been teaching a series on the subject of love, and uh, the first uh, point that we have made in this uh, most recent portion of the series uh, is love is the New Testament commandment. Love is a New Testament commandment. We find that in a number of places, but we'll just give you one reference in John chapter 15, uh, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So love is a New Testament commandment that we are to love even as Jesus has loved us, praise God, in the same way that Jesus has loved us. So secondly, uh, God's love nature resides in us as believers. God's love nature resides in us as believers. And then thirdly, uh, love is to be the motivating force of what we do for God and toward people. Love is to be the motivating force of what we do for God and toward people. Uh, We use one of the references for that is Romans 10 and verse 13. Love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love works no ill to to his neighbor. So uh, they're going to know, the world is going to know, Uh, that we are his disciples by the love we show one to another. So then, uh, the world is going to see or recognize, because uh, they don't walk by faith that you do. Uh, They certainly walk by sight. Uh, The world walks by sight, what they see, what they view, and uh, unfortunately some Christians do too, but uh, the truth is the world is not going to see Jesus very clearly uh, if we don't walk in love one toward another. And so the love that we show to one another, one another will uh, be a testimony uh, to the world of the love of God that is in us. Now, uh, the one that I shared with you, the thought, God's love nature resides in us as believers, is found in John chapter 17. John 17, verse 23, portion of the verse says, And hast loved them as thou hast loved me. But verse 26 says, That the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them. So now we see that it is a New Testament commandment. We see that we are to love one another. We are to work no ill toward our brother or toward our sister. And uh, by our love one to another, we're going to be a testimony to the world of the love of God that is in us. And in this verse, he said the love of God uh, that God had for Jesus, he says that that love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them. Well, the love that God had for Jesus would be what we call the love of God. Amen. The love of God was expressed in the person of his son, proved uh, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, verse 8. So while we were yet sinners, God proved his love toward us. Uh, You know, uh, it seems very basic to Christianity But it's not just the beginning of your Christian life where you need to know that. God proved his love in that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. If you recognize that it was when you were a sinner that God loved you and sent his son to die for you, then it gives you a lot more compassion for the world. And it gives you more compassion for one another because you recognize that God loved you before you behaved right. Aren't you glad? Ah, hallelujah. And uh, God loves you when you misbehave. He doesn't like your misbehavior, but he does love you in spite of your misbehavior. And he loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you and prove that love by action. So love from God is a love that acts, a love that does. So we don't just love in word, but according to 1 John, in deed and in truth. So love is more than saying I love you. Love is actually acting it out, doing it. And uh, so this love is in us. So that means I can obey the commandment that God has given me because he said I am to love even as Jesus loves me, even as God loves me. I'm to love others in the same way. And the only way that you and I can do that is because the love of God is in us. So that, now that brings us to this verse that we have uh, now ask you to turn to in Second uh, Peter, and it's in chapter 1, and we'll go uh, to verse uh, 3. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God's divine power has given us all things. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. So amazing grace has given you everything you need that pertains to life and godliness. To live a godly life, to live life in this world, God's power has made it available to you. Now let's look uh, further. He says, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So how does he give us all these things that pertain uh, to life and godliness? Through the knowledge of him. That has called us. So it's through knowledge that we grow. In other words, you spiritually are going to grow and you're also going to then produce fruit as a believer as a result of knowledge. Now, not just knowledge uh, for the sake of just knowledge, we're talking about revelation knowledge. So, we, you know, because some people actually, the scripture says, uh, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. In other words, if you uh, just uh, gain knowledge and you can quote a few verses of Scripture, but you're not doing it in love, uh, then you're really not uh, doing very much. But if you're doing it in love, then that is coming out of your spirit, and the love of God is uh, being uh, made available as fruit to people around you. In other words, they can uh, see a demonstration of the love of God in your words, but in also your action and uh, your behavior, your attitudes. All right, so in this verse, he says, you have this knowledge that gives you everything. I mean, if you're gaining knowledge of the Word of God, gives you everything that pertains to life and godliness. Uh, then let's go to verse 4, whereby are given unto us, through this knowledge, whereby are given unto us great and precious promises, great and precious promises, that by these 
you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world through lust. By these great and precious promises, you might be a partaker. Now, if you are a partaker, uh, then that means you're actually eating the fruit or you're enjoying the fruit of it, right? That you might be a partaker of the divine nature. So you have actually come to enjoy or you actually have within you this divine nature. Now, God is love. We'll, we'll look at that. We'll endeavor to look at that in 1 John chapter 4 today. But in 1 John chapter 4, it says, God is love. So then, if you are a partaker of the divine nature, divine meaning from God, from Theos, from God. So this, this divine nature that comes from God, you have partaken of. I mean, if you, uh, we probably don't use that word so much, but uh, if you went to someone's house and you partook of dinner, that means that you actually ate it. You enjoyed it. You, uh, you received it into yourself, to your person, physically. Well, if you're a partaker of the divine nature, that means you actually receive it. You actually have it. You uh, have taken it into your spiritual person, in your spirit man, your inner man. So you're a partaker through the knowledge of God. That's how you got saved. That's how you got born again. Uh, you believed on Jesus through the knowledge of God, and you heard the gospel, and you received it, and you believed it. And what happened? You partook of the nature of God. The nature of God being one part of the nature of God is that God is love. In fact, that is something it says about God. God is love. Now, it's different to say God has love. Because if you say God has love, then you could say God has love sometimes, and he doesn't sometimes. But if you say God is love, then you have to acknowledge that God is always love. That God is not sometimes love, sometimes hate. God is always love. Now, even in God's judgment, it's love-based. Even in God's uh, uh, reprimanding, it is love-based. It is always for the good of humanity when God even judges. So... Uh, God is a God of love. Knowing that God is a God of love and that you have uh, partaken of this love when you say you are a partaker of the divine nature, when you're born again, it's something you have. It's something that you partake of. It's something that you inwardly possess. It's like eternal life, you know. Uh, most of the, of the time in Christianity, when we uh, speak about eternal life, most people think of it as something that they're going to get when they go to heaven. When they die, they go to heaven, and they uh, are going to have eternal life. Well, eternal life is actually referred to in Scripture primarily, for the most part, over a hundred times in the New Testament, uh, it is referred to as a present possession. It's something that you have. You already possess it. So then the love of God is part of this life. In other words, when you receive this nature of God, the life of God, eternal life, then love is a part of this nature or this life. It comes with it. And so you receive the love of God or the nature of God within your spirit, in your person. And 
uh, you have been created by God, so you were created for love. In other words, God originally created man, and he created him in his image and in his likeness, so you were created to possess life. Because God breathed into Adam his very own life. So you were created originally to possess life. When man died spiritually and was alienated from God, uh, then he really was living with a foreign substance. He was living with a substance. He was surviving in the earth with a substance that was contrary to God, that was opposed to God, and that was dark on the inside now. God has given us eternal life and lit our spirit up again, and now we have this life that we were originally created to possess. Well, God created man to love. He created man for this. So we see in the first family, uh, there's major conflict in the first family, so much so that Cain kills his brother Abel out of anger, right, out of jealousy. He actually murders his own brother in the first family. So that's pretty severe uh, stuff going on in the first family. And so we see spiritual death has its toll or has its effect on the first family and the first uh, siblings. So if we are going to uh, enjoy God's best in this earth, then we're going to have to have something other than what Cain and Abel had. That's for sure. Something other than what uh, Adam and Eve possess after the fall. We need what they had before the fall, and that was life, God's life. And so God gave us life in the person of Jesus, and we have been made partakers of this divine nature, this love nature, and it's on the inside of us. But we must grow in the knowledge of that love. He said, through the knowledge, through the knowledge of Jesus, initially we receive the love of God or the nature of God on the inside, but it is an ongoing process of spiritual growth, and knowledge is essential for growth to occur. In other words, the Word of God is how you are going to spiritually grow or develop. In order to walk in love, there must be some knowledge coming into you, and not only once, but again and again. Uh, Brother Hagin talked about, uh, over the years when he was teaching, uh, he talked about watering the Word. You know, one sowed, another watered, but God gave the increase. He said the watering process is hearing the Word again and again. In other words, someone teaching you the Word, something you think you know, something that you uh, maybe could quote verses of, or you could turn to it in your Bible, but the watering process is something that you hear over and over again. You could say, well, tomatoes grow, and they do. You plant a seed, you get a tomato a plant, and eventually you're going to get tomatoes. But if you don't water tomato plants, they dry up and they die, and they don't grow and they don't produce tomatoes. The seed, there was no problem with the seed, was there? But the watering process was not done. So the watering process is necessary in order for you to maintain awareness of and consciousness of the love of God on the inside of you in order for you to effectively, daily, 
every day. So much so that your children recognize it. If your children recognize it, you know that you're walking in love. Because they know you better sometimes than you act like you know yourself. In other words, they could point out your, your flaws, right? Or your, your spouse or your husband. You don't have to look at them right now. Just uh, your spouse or your husband. If you're walking in love, they know that you're walking in love, right? And uh, so a, a spouse can recognize, that is, if they are conscious of it themselves, they can recognize when you're walking in love, and sometimes they recognize it when they're not walking in love. In other words, it is displayed. It's demonstrated. And the people that are closest to you can recognize the love of God coming out of you because it comes out in your action. It comes out in your attitude. It comes out in your words. Well, if you're around somebody long enough, you'll find out that they don't have 100% love walk. Now, I know you are more spiritual than that, but I'm talking about most people, that you are a, a, an exception to the rule, uh, but uh, no, you're, you're pretty much in the same basket. All right, so as a Christian, we want to have such a developed love life that people recognize the love of God coming through us in our words, in our actions, in our attitude on a consistent basis. But in order to do that, there has to be some consistent acknowledgement of the love of God in you. So knowledge is essential in order for you to maintain the love of God, hearing the word concerning love on a consistent basis so that you are actually conscious of, aware of the indwelling love of God, the love of God that has literally changed your nature. So since you uh, live in a body and live in this physical body, you have uh, what the scriptures call flesh, and you got to deal with your flesh. And since you live in this physical body, you also have a soul, a mind, will, and emotions, and so therefore you've got to deal with your mind. In order to change your behavior, you got to change your thinking. It's just the way, it, the way it works. In order to change your behavior, your words, your attitude, you've got to change your thinking. Well, you can't change it alone. If you could, you probably would have before now. But you can take something into yourself that will literally change your mind, change your thinking, change your attitude. It's called the Word of God. The same thing that feeds your spirit and causes you to live in an awareness spiritually and consciousness spiritually of the love of God within you, that same substance will literally change your thinking. Receive with meekness the engrafted, implanted word which has the power to save your soul. So there's power in this word not only to give you this life on the inside, this love nature on the inside, but there's power in this word as well to, to actually change your soul. And that's where most pro problems are, in your soul. It's in your mind. It's in your thinking. It's the way you think. Well, uh, if you want to change your thinking, you've got to change what you're believing. In other words, you've got to get the word on the inside and let that word now work in your mind. I believe the Bible even though I haven't got my mind renewed fully to that, I still believe it. 
So I believe the Word of God, so therefore I'm going to speak the Word of God. And while you're speaking the Word of God, that you believe in your heart, you say it with your mouth, then your mind starts to catch it. Your mind starts to get it. And then your thinking is altered. And as your thinking is altered, then your attitude changes. And then your behavior changes. Your action changes. And it's not going to change just because you live in this world and you call yourself a Christian. If it were, all Christians would have this down. Right? But that's not reality. So the only way you're going to grow in this and change your thinking, change your attitude, change your action is get the Word of God in you, believe that Word, speak that Word, and then your mind starts changing. Well, it's like uh, sometimes you revert. You know, you're doing pretty good for a bit. You know, you might be doing uh, pretty good for a few hours and then, oh, you slipped up in the flesh, right? Not anybody in here. It's just the people that are watching live stream. All right, so, uh, you know, it's, it's everybody. Then you slipped up in the flesh, right? Then uh, you, you did pretty good for a few days, and then you slipped up, in the, and your attitude got a little crosswise, right? So in that case, then you have to catch yourself, and you have to make a then choice to say, in certain cases, especially if it was towards somebody else, I'm sorry. I recognize that my attitude was wrong. I recognize that what I did was wrong, and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And if you ask forgiveness, then first you want to acknowledge God first. You know, ask God to forgive you and ask them to forgive you. Well, when you do that, then you're getting your conscience clear. The worst thing you can do as a Christian is violate your conscience. Because if you can't hear your conscience after a while, you won't hear nobody else. I'm preaching really good there. I said the worst thing you can do is violate your conscience. Because if you don't listen to your conscience after a while, you will not hear other people's voices in your life. So that is a dangerous place for anyone to be, to violate their conscience again and again and again because it shuts your hearing down. It, in, it, it disables you. Uh, to hear the Word of God or hear what Holy Spirit is endeavoring to say to you. Because this is not just a mental book here. This is not just, oh, I can just turn this on and off like a switch. No, you just have to say yes to Jesus like a lifestyle. Yes to the Bible like a lifestyle. It's not something that you can just say, well, I'm off after church. I'm just on when I get to church. I'm just on when I'm listening to uh, the sermon for the week. Now, you have to live this as a lifestyle. Keep the switch of faith turned on. Keep the love switch turned on. Live it life-wise all the time. And so uh, in this case, you have this love in you. Living with this awareness or this consciousness that you are a partaker of the divine nature and you have then escaped from the corruption that is in this world through lust. Now, of course, we, uh, we think about the word lust and most people, their mind goes to sexual lust. Well, there's all kinds of lust. The lust of the flesh are described in uh, the book of Galatians chapter 5. I mean, it's a whole list and then for those that uh, yours, if yours is not included in that list, and God says, in anything like this, anything that is similar to what the list is, that would be the works of the flesh or the lust of the flesh. So it could be anger. 
It could be a lot of things. Anger is actually listed there. So in this case, he says that you have escaped, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. In other words, what is corruption when we think of corruption? Well, corruption is something that's eaten away at your life. In other words, it eats away at your soul, it eats away at your mind, eats away at your attitude, eats away at your, at your, at your body. Physical health could be you're corrupted. It eats away at your spiritual life. It's consuming you. It takes advantage of you. The devil wants you to live with this corruption. It's just eating away at your life, destroying your life. But God wants you to live free, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. It could be sinful lifestyle. Lots of things that could go under this list. The opposite of everything that pertains to life and godliness according to his divine power. In other words, all kinds of things the devil uses to eat away and destroy people's lives. So you just have to be able to recognize the difference in what Holy Spirit is saying, what the Word of God is saying, and what your flesh is saying, what the, your natural reasoning is saying, or what the world is saying, people are saying. What does God say? And, you know, uh, Brother Hagan and also Pastor B.B. Hankins said this uh, throughout their lives. I heard it over and over again. Always ask yourself, what does the Bible say? Now, in any given situation, if you will do that literally and you will do that uh, with humility and say, Father, what does your word say concerning this? If you will submit to God's word in every area of your life, everything that pertains to life and godliness, if you'll say, God, what does your word say about this? What does your word say about my action? What does your word say about my attitude? What does your word say about what I'm doing? And what does your word say about this circumstance, this situation? What does your word say in any area of your life? If you dare to do that humbly before God with a meek attitude, God will show you. God will enlighten you. That's the way he is. He works with humility. If, if uh, he said, humble yourself, receive with meekness, meekness, humility, the engrafted word, which is able, has the power to save your soul. You know, the word won't even work in your life without humility. It won't even work. Why? Because you have to receive it with a humble attitude, a meek attitude, which means God, you're right and I'm wrong. Nobody wants to say I'm wrong. Your flesh doesn't want to say I'm wrong. <laughs> Your kids, two years old, don't want to admit they're wrong. Four years old, five years old, ten years old, teenagers, they don't want to admit they're wrong. They want you to be wrong. You're wrong, I'm right. Your husband doesn't want to be wrong. Your wife doesn't want to be wrong. Nobody wants to be wrong. If you walk in the flesh, you're always going to think you're right and other people are wrong. If you walk in the spirit, you're going to admit you're wrong when you're wrong. I mean, it's just the way it is. So humility will admit you're wrong and it'll say, God, you're right. So therefore, I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to submit to your word and I'm going to let your word, I'm going to receive that word. I'm going to let it change me from the inside out. Because there's something in you that gives you the ability to change. 
It's the love of God. The life of God gives you the ability to change. It's God's grace and ability on the inside of you, which enables you to do what God said do. When he said, this is my commandment, that you love one another, even as I've loved you. Wow, God has given you the nature on the inside, the ability on the inside to do what God has commanded you to do, and it enables you to escape from the corruption that is in this world. Hallelujah. All right, let's go to our next point. Thank you, Jesus. So, first, we are in union with God who is love. We are in union with God who is love. Now, go with me uh, to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. You know, actually, I'm going to go to 1 John first, and then we'll endeavor to go to John 15. 1 John, uh, we'll go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, we'll go to verse uh, 16. Well, let's pick it up in verse 15. Verse 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. Whoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, if you ask pretty much any Christian, uh, I hope that they would have this clear. uh, That they would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And if they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, they're not saved. All right, so when you talk to a Christian and you ask them, do you confess that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. What is the great confession? Jesus Christ is Lord. He, uh, you got to believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and what? Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All right, Jesus is the Son of God. If you confess that Jesus is the Son of God, if you confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord, then it says that uh, God dwells in him. And he in God. Now consider the, the two phrases here. God dwells in him and he in God. God dwells in him and he in God. I've used the illustration and I'll do so today. Uh, this water dwells in this glass. But this glass does not dwell in this water. You can separate the two. And they will be the same substance separate. Right? But that's not the phrase that is used here. If you confess that Jesus is the Son of God, then God dwells in you and you dwell in Him. Now that is a description of a spiritual union. In other words, when you get in Christ, you're in union with Christ. You literally become one with him. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17 says, He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. One spirit. That doesn't mean God can't exist without you. No, actually other translations say one with him in spirit. In other words, God joined you to himself through Jesus, through faith in Christ. You literally became one with him in spirit. So 
You can't have life without him. Now, he's got it without you because he's the source of it. But you can't have life without him. It's kind of what uh, I was going to turn to uh, John chapter 15. He said, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. All right, so then you as a Christian, as a believer, you got your life from him. You didn't get life just because you just said, well, I'm a really good person. I did some good deeds. I, do, uh, I did this and this and this, and I have life. No, you have life simply for one reason. You believed in Jesus Christ. There are a lot of good people in the world in the sense of they did some good deeds. A lot of people have done some good things in the world, good things, but they're not saved. They're not born again. Doing a good deed does not save you. Doing a good work does not save you. I'm not opposed to good works, no. I'm uh, opposed to believing that's your salvation. I am for good works, and God is for good works. And you are his workmanship created unto good works, which he before ordained that you should walk in them. But the order needs to be you are his workmanship created in Christ unto good works. Because it's a deception to think, well, if I do this and this and this, some crazy evil people in the world do some good things. They do a lot of evil stuff, but then they do a good deed, and that does not make up for their salvation. All right, so... Faith in Jesus Christ alone is what gets a person saved. Faith in Jesus Christ. All right, so he that believes or confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him, he in God. So you're in union with God. Your spirit is joined to him. Verse 16, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. The love that God had, what, to us or toward us. We have known and believed it. So you could know the love of God and believe in the love of God. He says that we've known it and we believe it in the love that God hath to us. Remember, God's love for us was expressed in his son, Jesus. He proved his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So then we have this love of God that is toward us, and we believed in that, and we confess Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We confess Jesus Christ is Lord, and we got saved. We got born again. All right, so believe the love that God hath to us. Then he says, God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So it's the same kind of language here. He says, uh, God is love, and he that dwells in love dwells in God, and God dwells in him. God is love. He that dwells in love dwells in God, and God in him. So then when you believe in God, and you believe in the love of God, and believe that God is love, and the love that he had towards you, now he has put in you because God is love, and he that dwells in love dwells in God. So you're living in, dwelling in, abiding in God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. Glory to God. Think about just dwelling in, living in, 
abiding in, walking in, living in a consciousness of God dwelling in you and you dwelling in God. The same kind of language. I just use the water and the glass. You're dwelling in God. God's dwelling in you. Meaning that you and God are inseparable. You and God are one. You and God are hanging out. Now, there's certain, as parents, if you have been a parent, you know that there are certain people, certain people in your uh, kid's circle that you don't want them to hang out with. Every parent has experienced this. I don't know if you should be, I don't think you should be hanging out there. Now, why is that? Bad company corrupts good morals. In other words, if you hang out with these people long enough, they're going to influence you. It's just, it's life experience. Now, if you're a teenager, sometimes you don't recognize their behavior is going to influence you. Or child, you don't recognize because you haven't lived long enough to see that happen over and over again. But uh, a few experiences of your friends ought to give you some idea. But there are things that you, you say, I don't want you to hang out with them. All right? So why? Because you know that's influence. Now, when I say hang out with God, I'm talking about you are with God all the time. And that God is with you all the time. And you are aware of his presence. And if you're living in God, dwelling in God, and God's dwelling in you, you're hanging out with God all the time. In other words, God can talk to you anytime. God could instruct you anytime. God could help you to make a right choice anytime. God could help you to change your attitude anytime and, and call your attention to some things in your life. How many are glad for God's faithfulness to do that in your life? You're dwelling in God. God's dwelling in you, and he checks you. Now, if, if you want some real good friends in your life, you want some real friends that could actually check you. I mean, they're not necessarily your police. In other words, they're not always just constantly on you, but they ought to be able to check you. And say, hey, you know, you know, come on, you know better than that. As a husband and wife, you can't just stay on them all the time and just ride them like, you know, you always do that, you did this, you did, no, no, no. But every now and then, you need to be able to check your husband or your wife. Say, now, you know, consider, consider your Words there. Right? That's relationship. If you have real relationship, if, you, if people just want to have their way all the time, they're not married long. Or if they do, people are like totally uh, unfulfilled. I mean, they're not happily married. I mean, Floyd and Wanda having their 34th anniversary. Well, think about it. You know, 34 years together, they've had plenty of disagreements. I've been around them. I know. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, I'm just kidding. All right, so uh, they've had plenty of disagreements. If you're married 34 years, you, you've had your share. <laughs> Some people say, we've never, never had an argument. I'll, yeah. It depends on what you call it. 
It's a heated discussion. All right, so whatever you call it. All right, so you've had disagreements. But how you're going to stay married is that you're going to be able to honestly love one another in their lowest points and when they didn't walk in love, right? But at the same time, you're able to forgive, and at another point, you're able to check them about that. When you're not able to check one another anymore, somebody's going to check out eventually. Because, you know, nobody, you know, there are people that just live in misery all their life, but I'm not interested in living in misery all my life. I want to grow, and I want to grow through it. Hallelujah. I, you know, go, have you ever been to the mountains, and you look at a mountain, and you see there's this rock mountain, and then there's a tree growing right out of the side of the mountain? What happened? One little seed just was blown in there by the wind in a crack in that mountain. And the rain, enough moisture got in there, and some roots started happening, and eventually a tree grew out of the side of the mountain. Pretty amazing. Or if you have old concrete, it's been there for years, and eventually grass starts growing up through the concrete. What happened? Just a little crack. In other words, if there's so much power in the seed of God's Word, it has the power to grow through concrete. It has the power to grow right in, a, in the side of a mountain. In other words, there's no obstacle too big, no challenge too great that the power of God's seed of love on the inside of you can't break through any barrier in your life and enable you to love with the love of God, enable you to overcome whatever obstacle that you face. And we all face them. It's just, what do you face them with? you got to face it with the love of God. Face it with the love that is on the inside of you, the ability of God to love in the hardest and the most difficult of times. The love of God can outshine whatever's going on all around you. It's amazing. Amazing grace. The love of God is powerful. It is a greater power than anything in this earth. That's why God said love never fails. So he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. God lives on the inside of you. You know, you need to say that to yourself. God lives on the inside of me. You need to say Christ lives in me today. You need to say 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8 to yourself regularly. And I would challenge you to do it for at least 30 days every day. If you would do that, you will see where you need to make some adjustments. You can just read it the first day, first time. If you read it slow, I mean like the first few words, you're like, all right, all right, all right, I got to change here. We got some adjustments to make. Some people, they read it real fast. Like, I got that done. <laughs> no, you just read it. No, you got to read it, slow down, and think about that word. Love is kind. Was I kind? Love is patient. Of his long suffering. <laughs> well, I'm suffering long. I don't know how I'm doing with the suffering process. Yeah, 
In other words, just read it and just digest it, take it in, because that's a picture of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, in the Amplified Bible and a few other translations, will just give you a picture of God. It will give you a description of the way God treats you. And if you realize how God loves you in that way, then it helps you to love other people in the same way. So it's a picture of how we are to love. So I just had Minister Ty put it on our app recently. So it's on the app. And if you have a phone, all you got to do is just open the app and look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. And just read it to yourself every day. And if you could just spend about 30 minutes meditating on it. Or an hour. Just, if you did that for, for about 30 days, you would find out at the end of 30 days, your life has changed. Praise the Lord. It works. Anybody can do it. Not everybody will, but somebody will. So if you will do that, it will change your life because you'll start seeing how God loves you. How many know God's been patient with you? Oh, I know he's been patient with me. He's been patient with everybody in the room. How many know God's been kind to you? Thank you, Jesus. And we could go on and on. Just read it. Just take the time. Meditate on it. Give yourself to it. And it'll bring life. 